do I say that? I'm glad you asked. So this morning, if you're looking at your outline inside of your bulletin, we're going to consider just two this morning. I wanted to do three, but I just couldn't put it all together in the time I'm, I have. Two vital realities that can only be experienced fully, completely, truly, in a cross-centered church. So that we might make every effort as a church to be and remain focused on the cross. Those two vital realities are resiliency, we're going to talk about them, and transparency. Resiliency and transparency. Now, before we consider that first point, let me talk a little bit to you about the definition or my definition of being cross-centered. means the message of the cross or the gospel, maybe you've heard that term as well, the gospel or the message of the cross. I think those terms can be both used to speak of the same thing. It is a message that includes, listen carefully, it includes but is not limited to the facts and implications of Jesus' sinless and righteous life leading up to the cross and his sin-bearing, sacrificial, and substitutionary death on the cross and his glorious resurrection following the cross. That message is a message that should continually occupy and saturate every Christian's mind and heart and have the greatest influence over their lives. That is what I mean by being cross-centered. It, the message of the cross, should ultimately be what defines us as Christians and captures our hearts and rises to the level of most important in our lives. And not, and not our careers or ministries or relationships or status in life or successes or failures or political parties or anything else. I am fully convinced of this. And one of my long-term goals, goals, one of my long-term goals as a pastor is that we would all share in that same conviction and help one another as a church to hold on to it. Because it's a slippery one. It's a slippery one that tends to slip away very easily. That we would all come to this conviction and we would do everything we can by the power of God to hold on to that conviction. So this message this morning will be a little different than what you're used to. We're just going to look at a few passages and I'll be making quite a few comments. Just consider, for instance, the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. Paul writes there, For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Another Bible translation phrases that same verse this way. Verse 3. What I received, Paul says, I passed on to you, to the Corinthian church. And it is the most important of all. Note that. It is the most important of all. Here's what it is. Christ died for our sins, just as Scripture said he would. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as Scripture said he would be. Beloved, the message of the cross is not just one message among many in the Christian faith, but it is the most important message that Christianity contains. It is central to it and foundational to everything else we might talk about in regard to Christianity. 
Martin Luther, we talked about him several weeks ago at the end of October when we celebrated, celebrated Reformation Sunday, one of the fathers of the great Reformation that restored to us the wonders of the gospel, the wonders of the cross and the implications of that for our life. And here's what this man said. There is not a word in the Bible which can be understood without reference to the cross. Did you get that? That's what he's saying. Not a word in all 66 books, Old Testament and New. Martin Luther says you really can't fully get it until you understand and know and embrace the message of the cross. In his book, Living the Cross-Centered Life, C.J. Mahaney says this, the cross wasn't merely one of Paul's messages. It was the message. It was. He taught about other things as well, but whatever he taught was always derived from and related to the foundational reality that Jesus Christ died so that sinners would be reconciled to God. Of the 27 books in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul wrote approximately half of them, 13 to be exact. And there can be no doubt, beloved, that when you read through them, it is the message of the cross that was central in his mind and in his writings. It is the message of the cross. And in the Bible, Paul is not the only one who is focused on the cross. As we read through the Gospels, right? The first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see they as well are cross-centered, cross-focused. Time after time in the Gospels, we see Jesus foretelling his disciples about his earthly destiny with the cross. With the cross. Saying this in Mark chapter 10, maybe you remember when we went through the Gospel of Mark together, beginning in verses 33 and also in 34, he says, See to his disciples, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, that's how he referred to himself, the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priest and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him him and after three days he will rise in that same chapter chapter 10 of mark just a few verses later in verse 45 these words are recorded by our lord jesus christ he says in verse 45 for even the son of man himself came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, beloved, we looked at this in the Gospel of Mark. We know at this time that Jesus' disciples, they were confused. They were confused by these statements at that time. But we know now on this side of the cross that what Jesus meant by the words, give his life as a ransom for many, was a direct reference to the cross that Jesus would give his life on to redeem every sinner who would trust in him, to permanently rescue them from the righteous wrath of God by dying in their place as their substitute, taking upon himself the wrath they deserved, that I deserved, and perfectly and fully satisfying God's justice against their sin. That, beloved, is why Jesus Christ came to earth. That is why. That was his mission. He came to die for sinners on a cross. Sinners like us. In the book of Acts, the apostle Peter is recorded saying this on the day of Pentecost as he was giving his sermon to a Jewish audience about Jesus Christ. He says this in Acts chapter 2, verse 23. This man, a reference to Jesus, was handed over to you. Get this and don't miss it. He was handed over to you 
by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. I've said this before, but I think it's worth saying over and over and over again. Jesus' death on the cross was not a tragic accident. It was not. It was not a matter of Jesus being in the wrong place at the wrong time. But according to the word of God, it was God's definite plan. According to his set purpose that Jesus died on the cross. In fact, as you read the Old Testament in light of the cross, you start to see how it as well points to the necessity, the necessity of a Savior for humanity. The need for a perfect and permanent Redeemer, which was, by the way, fully realized in the person of Jesus Christ through his death on the cross and his subsequent death-defying resurrection. The message of the cross, beloved, is, is not just about an event in history, but rather it is the event that gives true meaning to all of history. To all of history. And the cross, by the way, will continue to be our focus long into the future. As we can see from the words of the Apostle John recorded in the book, the last book of the Bible, Revelation, that explains incredible events that are yet to come. Prophetically, he writes in Revelation chapter 5, verses 8 through 10, And when he, that is Jesus, had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, that is the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. Don't miss this. For you were slain. And by your blood. What is he talking about? What are they talking about? What are they singing about? The cross, beloved. The cross. You were slain and by your blood you ransomed people. You purchased salvation for people. For God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. Beloved, the Old Testament looked forward. Okay? It looked forward with expectant hope to the cross. It looked forward. And the New Testament continues to look back to the cross in total awe and wonder and gratitude. It is the center of true Christianity. And consequently, it should be the main focus of every single Christian's life. Beloved, I will keep saying that. I will keep preaching that. And I will say it 55 different ways, however I can get to it, until you are saying the same thing and until you believe the same thing. One writer says this, We never move on from the cross, only into a more profound or deep understanding of the cross. You know, what he's saying is, we don't graduate from the cross, beloved. This is not like our kindergarten class where, you know, we learn about the cross early on in our Christianity. That's how we come to Christ. But then we, we graduate from that and we may move on to bigger and better things. Beloved, no, that's not the case. For the Christian, the cross remains his main thing. He is never to move on from the cross. You never graduate from the cross. You stay and you learn and you continue to ponder the wonders of the cross and that is what has an impact on our lives. But unfortunately, 
We have a bad habit of doing exactly what we shouldn't do. We move on from the cross. In the sense that it is no longer the most important thing to us. And you know what we do? We let other things take their place or its place. And the negative results of that action may be, hear me, a loss of joy, an increase in pride, legalism or performance-based Christianity. You know what that is? That means that I, I'm good with God if I'm being good. Based on my performance is how much God likes me. That's performance-based Christianity. Or arrogance. These are all results of moving away from the cross. Arrogance. An unwillingness to forgive others. Do you have a problem forgiving someone else? I know why. Because it's the same issue I have when I have a problem forgiving someone else. I look up and I don't see the cross anymore. I've moved away from it. How about being hypercritical of others? That's the result of moving away from the cross. How about lack of love toward others? How about hopelessness? How about hiding or covering up your sins? Discouragement. How about soul-humiliating shame and condemnation? Which, guess what? Someone, sometimes results in people isolating themselves from the church. Which just happens to be the spiritual structure that God has instituted to help His people change. To encourage His people. Beloved, it is so critical for us to be and remain a cross-centered church. So let's just briefly consider just two specific reasons why. Two specific reasons why. The first is resiliency. Resiliency. Let me give you a definition of that. It is the ability to recover quickly from setbacks or the ability to spring back quickly into shape after being bent, stretched, or deformed. Resiliency. I thought I would illustrate that with this picture of a Japanese toy. Maybe you've seen it. Okay, what I want to show you. Have any of you seen this toy? I want one, but I couldn't get one. I don't know how to... If I'm just letting you guys all know. Christmas is on its way, and Pastor would love to have one if you could... This... Uh, Japanese toy, this is in its bottom right corner is what it looks like normally. It's a pig in its right form. But you can take this thing and smash it against the wall and that's what it will look like. But it is resilient. It is resilient. It will not stay smashed. It somehow transforms itself back into that shaped pig again. Now, I'm not asking us to be pigs, but we need resiliency. Beloved, listen, you can drop that pick. In this life, okay, now I'm going to get serious. In this life, as you well know, we have to regularly endure incredible difficulties, pain, and tragedies that we know biblically are the result of living in a broken and fallen world. A world that is cursed according to Genesis chapter 3 and Romans chapter 8. And contrary to what the false faith teachers or the health, wealth, and prosperity preachers that are all over the television may say, being a Christian does not mean does not mean you won't have to experience pain in this life if you just have enough faith. That's not true, beloved. That's not biblical. That's not scriptural. In fact, if anything, you might get more of it due to the fact that persecution comes to those, according to 2 Timothy 3.12, who are living out their faith. All those who 
live godly should expect persecution. The Apostle John, writing about the future new heaven and new earth. Future new heaven and new earth. He recorded these words in Revelation 21 verse 4. He, that is God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying, nor pain any more. Why? For the former things have passed away. Now, beloved, I'm going to tell you something we all know, but it needs to be said. We live in the former things. That's the age we live in. We live in the age of of crying and mourning and death and pain. The new heaven and new earth have not come yet. It's what we long for. It's what we hope for. Nor have we been glorified. Meaning we still have physical bodies that are, guess what? Corrupted by sin. This is not our home, and this is not how things are supposed to be, beloved. This place is broken. And you know what? So are we. As a result, not only do we regularly experience pain, but we cause it. We are hurt, and sadly, we hurt one another in a multitude of ways. We are sinned against, and we sin against others, only adding to the load of pain that we must endure in this world. It is all quite a mess. And all of the stuff we go through in this life can and often does lead to our loss or to a loss of our joy, hope, confidence, and beloved, even the motivation to live for Christ. And so then we find ourselves, maybe some of you are relating, we find ourselves struggling with depression, anxiety, wanting to withdraw from the church, wanting to indulge in sin, wanting to just give up, drowning in bitterness, controlled by anger, paralyzed by apathy, dominated by cynicism, and so on and so forth. But the message of the cross is so powerful, so glorious, that when we stand and bathe in its light, the horrific pains associated with this world begin to lose their crushing and deforming power, allowing us to recover and spring back just like that dumb pig To our God-given shape. A shape, beloved, that reflects peace, hope, comfort, joy, confidence, assurance, and thankfulness. How does the message of the cross do that exactly? I am so glad you asked. You guys have great questions this morning. I am telling you. Well, listen, beloved. I hope you know this, but if you don't, I'm going to tell you anyway and just remind you of it. The biggest problem that we have as humanity, the biggest, the most significant problem we have that we face is not the economy. It is not your boss. It is not the government. It is not your spouse. 
it is not your children. But rather, it is the reality of personal sin. For it is unforgiven sin that separates people from God. Isaiah 59.2 From God their creator and fully exposes them to the future certainty of his eternal wrath and punishment for it. That is the biggest problem humanity faces. But at the cross, but at the cross, Jesus solved our biggest and most significant problem. Our problem of sin. A problem that really makes all other problems small and much less significant when we hold them up in comparison to the problem of sin. Through the cross and only through the cross, we who have trusted Christ have complete forgiveness of all of our sins and we have been made right with God. When you truly understand this, and and I'm not even sure you can fully ever understand it, but when you begin to embrace that, then you understand the incredible significance of a passage like this that we find in Romans chapter 4. And leave this one up for a while, okay? Leave this up. I want to focus on this. Chapter 4, verse 7. There, Paul is quoting David, King David, who happened to write this after he had committed some incredible sins with Bathsheba. He says this in Romans chapter 4, verse 7, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. You know what? Let's do this together. Let's read this together. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. You know, I would take your highlighter, take some sticky notes, take your pen, take the folder. I don't know what you're going to use. You need to highlight that, put that thing. You need to memorize that passage. You need to go back to this passage. Beloved, blessed, beloved. Blessed is what the, the author says. The man whose sins are covered, who the Lord will not count his sin against him regardless of the circumstances of your life, right? Regardless, you are still and always will be truly blessed for the Lord, if you are a Christian, will never, hear me, He will never count your sins against you. Because they have been forgiven through Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Beloved, if, if, that doesn't, if that doesn't move you, then you are way away from the cross. You're in darkness somewhere. This is what we must believe. This is what we must center our hearts and minds on while we live in this broken world. We, beloved, are blessed. How are you doing today? I'm blessed. And listen, you know, sometimes we say that. I'm blessed. Why are you blessed? Oh, I'm feeling great. I've got my health. Hey, that's, you know, having your health is great. It is a blessing. Okay? But you know what? It'll go away. It'll go away. Someday it's going away. Oh, I don't know. I just, I just got a promotion at work. Fantastic. That's a blessing from the Lord. But it might go away. It might go away. Oh, I just got a wonderful home. Finally closed the mortgage. Fantastic. I rejoice with you. But one good little shaker, and it'll go away. It'll go away. But you know what will never go away? My forgiveness. That is why Christians can remain thankful and joyful and hopeful and confident and assured in the midst of total chaos. 
Their life can appear to be crumbling, but it's not crumbling. Because their sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ. And they know it. And they're meditating on it. And they're rejoicing in it. And they're focused on it. You might be experiencing pain in your life right now. And if right, not right now, you will. Beloved, we know that. But if you have the forgiveness of God, then according to God's word, you are and will remain truly blessed. Truly blessed. And let me remind you again how exactly one obtains forgiveness with God. It is only, just to be clear, it is only through faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross that secures complete and everlasting forgiveness for anyone. For anyone. As Luke says in Acts chapter 10, verse 43, to him all the prophets, that is Jesus Christ, to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him, believes in who he is and what he did, who placed their faith and trust in him, they receive forgiveness of sins through his name. And it is him alone. Let me illustrate this for you. I am a person that cannot handle the cold. I just can't. It's probably why I stay in California. Well, that, and I also happen to pastor a church here. But <laughs> Because the weather's warm here, right? Anytime I hear about going, I go, does it snow there? Forget it. It's out. It's off the list. I would never live there. I just can't. I don't do well. Hypothermia is what I'm afraid of. Because I've experienced it uh, one time up in Lake Arrowhead in the lake. I experienced that. It is not fun. Hypothermia, in case you don't know, is a drop in your core body temperature, and ultimately it can result in uncontrollable shaking, a mental confusion, and ultimately death. Hypothermia. Listen, think of the message of the cross as a supernatural heat source that if you stay near to it by continually meditating on it, adoring it, thinking about it, studying it, it will maintain your appropriate spiritual body temperature, allowing you to function properly in the cold reality that we live in called this messed up, broken world. Think of it that way. For our own good and the good of the church, as Christians... We must, beloved, stay focused on the message of the cross. It uniquely, uniquely and only is what allows us to recover from the many setbacks that we will experience, may have already experienced, will certainly experience in this difficult life. Okay, the second vital reality. There's more I could say and I would love to say, but I am constrained by time. The second vital reality that can only be experienced fully in a cross-centered church is transparency. Transparency. What do I mean by that? I mean being open and honest. You know, do you remember back in the day? I don't think they, I was asking my wife, she says they don't use them anymore. In our day, we had these transparencies. There was these clear sheets of film that the teacher would put on a projector and she would, they would write on it and it would project it up. So it was called transparency because it was transparent. It was clear. You could see through it. That's the idea of transparency. It means being open and honest with one another about our lives. Specifically about our spiritual struggles in sin. About the things we generally keep hidden from everyone else in the church. The reality of transparency really stood out to me last week. Specifically, when there was a testimony given by one lady about some very personal details and sin issues regarding her marriage. If you haven't heard it, please listen to it this week. Now hear me. 
I don't know about you, but early on in my Christianity, when I was a younger man and I had come to Christ and I was in a church, I, I started thinking that I was the only one that was really messed up. Because everyone else in the church appeared, on the surface at least, to be doing just fine. And I don't recall people sharing with me their, their problems related to sin and certainly not making them public. I just don't recall that. So you know what? I felt somewhat alone in my struggles. And I thought, I guess I just have more issues <laughs> than everyone else. And although that might be true, beloved... I don't think it is exactly. Because for the most part, it looked like most people in the church, they kind of had this Christian thing down. That was my perspective as a young man in Christianity. But over time, I learned that that was not the case at all. And as a pastor, I have been confronted with that reality over and over and over, and over, and over again. Listen to me carefully. Because of our inherited sin nature, even as a Christian, everyone in the church is messed up to one degree. The only amen I get in the whole sermon, but thank you, brother. Everyone in the church, to some degree or another, is messed up. But often, only their immediate family or spouse truly know it. And sometimes, they don't even know the real extent of it. They don't. Spouses keep their, their sin life hidden many times from their family and, and from even their, their beloved. Guess what? We don't need to pretend with each other that everything is okay when it's not. We do. We shouldn't. And we need not do that. But the truth is we are often ashamed, right? We're ashamed or embarrassed of our sins and personal struggles. And so what do we do? We conceal them. We hide them. Yet that is really the worst thing. That's the worst thing we can do. That is exactly, beloved, what the enemy, yeah, Satan, that is exactly what he wants you to do because he never wants you to seek out help within the body of Christ so that you can fight and battle your sin issues. He doesn't want you to do that. He wants you to hide them. He wants you to conceal them. He wants you to be ashamed. Think about it. How can you truly be helped? How can I truly be helped if everyone is under the false impression that you're just fine? You don't need any help. You're doing okay. So how can anybody ever come alongside you and help you in the church? How can your brothers and sisters in Christ come alongside and and accurately encourage and strengthen and correct and instruct you from God's word if they don't really know you. Now this becomes critical to us as we set out to make and multiply cross-centered disciples. As we ask you to enter into one-on-one -on -one relationships with one another where you live life on life and begin to explore one another's lives and, and open up to one another. This is critical because you won't do it. If you're not transparent, and you won't be transparent if you're not cross-centered. I'll get to that in a second. But think about this. How can they ever do that? How can they ever encourage you specifically instead of just saying, oh, keep it up, brother, or pat on the back, I'm praying for you. How can they speak directly into your life with the word of God if they don't know what it is to speak to you because you keep it hidden and concealed? And likewise, how can you help 
them if they do exactly the same thing. Everyone walking around with a smile on their face, but dying inside. This is crazy. Insanity. This is where the message of the cross becomes so important for our ongoing spiritual health and growth individually and as a church. I would love to explore this more, but listen, a few things. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. You know the passage. You've heard it. Paul says there, there is therefore now no condemnation, condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for those who have placed their faith in Christ Jesus. Why is that the case? Because, hear me, I'm going to do this quickly, because the penalty of my sins, of your sins, have already been dealt with, if you're a Christian, at the cross. According to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, Jesus bore my sins. Every disgusting and nasty sin I have, he bore them in his body. His beautiful, sinless, perfect, righteous body. He bore them on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that for our sake God made Jesus who had no sin to be sin. That is on the cross. He took upon himself willfully my sins. And as a result received the punishment from God for them. Therefore, those who belong to Christ, who have placed their faith in Him and His cross work on their behalf, are no longer under condemnation by God or with God. They are beloved. We are truly free. Colossians 2, verses 13 through 14 tells me that because of the cross... And my relationship with Jesus Christ, God has forgiven me of all of my sins. All of them. Christians, according to Romans chapter 5, verse 10, we have been reconciled to God through the death of His Son, Jesus Christ. We are no longer God's enemies, but now through the cross we have been adopted as His sons and daughters. We are His loved children. Beloved, we are absolutely good with God. Hear me. We, who are Christians, are absolutely good with God because, because of Jesus Christ and His great sacrifice on the cross and that reason alone. Nothing will or ever can change that including sin that we all still struggle with and have to battle in this life. One writer said it this way, so good. He says, the gospel declares, the gospel, the message of the cross, the good news of Jesus Christ. It declares that there is nothing that could ever be uncovered about you and me that hasn't already been covered by the grace of Jesus. I like that song. We sing it sometimes. It's before the throne of God. And there it says, When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Now listen to me. That's all true. We forget it. We run away from it. I don't know what happens. We have amnesia. Seriously. Bad. Or we just don't believe it. Or we start to doubt it. This is why the Christian life is a life of faith. It's actually believing what the word of God says is true. About us who are in Jesus Christ. Now listen, based on all that, it doesn't matter most, hear me, it doesn't matter most what someone else thinks of us, but what matters most or what should 
matter most to us is what God thinks of us. And it is only because of your personal relationship with Jesus Christ that you and I can be confident that God thinks well of you. That he no longer, by that I mean he no longer relates to you as your judge, but rather as your loving and merciful and gracious Father. And that knowledge, if we have it, if we hold on to it, allows us to be transparent about sin in our lives and freely seek out the help of other Christians in overcoming it. Think of it like this. If I no longer have to be afraid of God knowing about my sin because of the cross, and I don't, then I certainly don't need to be afraid any longer about another human being knowing about my sin. I don't. Once I realize that I'm good with God, even if my brother or sister were to look down on me or to judge me or anything else, in the end, does it really matter? It doesn't. Because what matters most is how God sees me. And because of the cross and what Jesus did on that cross, God sees me in a very good way as his beloved son, as his adopted child, as one clothed, not in my own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, one who stands forgiven, cleansed, one whose sin will never be counted against him because of Jesus. So I can be transparent with you. My sin has been dealt with at the cross. In regards to its condemnation. And the other side of that is if we were all cross-centered, beloved. If we were, if we were really focused as a church here, centered as a church. We would not look down on another Christian for their struggles. Or make them feel small or inferior. You know what that means, you know? Lower than you. We would not do that. That happens when we're not cross-centered. That's when that happens. That's how churches rip each other apart. This is why it's so important for us. We wouldn't do that because we know that God, because of the cross, doesn't look down on them. Now get this, if God doesn't look down on them any longer, who in the world do we think we are? Treat our brother and sister as inferior. Well, we're stupid people. That's who we are. And we are slimy and we wiggle our way away from the cross. We just kind of slide down the hill. And with all of our might and strength and the power of the Holy Spirit, we got to climb back. Hold on to the cross and never let go. And another brother or sister who's got a good grip needs to reach back and pull him closer. That's what I'm talking about. In light of the fact that we're still messed up too, how ridiculous it is for us to treat each other with contempt. Disciples of Jesus Christ are just simply sinners saved by grace. Sinners saved and redeemed by the power of the cross and slowly being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ over time. All because of His power and grace in our lives. So let me introduce something to you and then we'll close. You know, we took a break from our growth groups, right? And we're going to reinstitute our growth groups. These are the groups that meet twice a month in in homes, in the communities. Twice a month. Not a huge commitment. To get together around the Word and to encourage one another. Exhort one another. Pray for one another. Get to know each other. Disciple one another. This is so important to me. This, this goal of being a cross in our church is so important to me. So this year we're going to take a study. It's called the Gospel-Centered Life. It's a nine-lesson study. We will meet from January to June to cover those nine lessons. 
We will have sign-ups beginning in sometime in December so that we'll have enough books and we'll know how to organize everyone beginning in January. I hope you will think seriously about what I have just spoken to you this last 45, 50 minutes. I hope you will say, listen, this is important. I need to be cross-centered. I feel myself consistently slipping away for the good of myself, for the glory of God, for the good of the church that I attend. I need to be cross-centered. And this study will help us move closer to that reality. And it will also explore more than I talked about today, the benefits and the implications and the consequences of what happens when we become more gospel-centered, cross-centered. So I'm going to hope that you will think that through and say, I'm going to make the time. I'm going to meet. January through June. I know not all of you will do it, but I wish you would. I wish you would. So as those sign-ups come around, I hope you will be willing to invest your time and your life in that way this coming year. Let's pray. Father God, I, I thank you for your church. It is your church. It was purchased through the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. So it is valuable. Father, you love your church. You adore your church. You have great zeal for your church. Father, help your church to become cross-centered, cross-focused. Help us not only to become that, but to to stay there, Father. And when we slip away, help us to, to notice it quickly that we might return back to the place where we belong. The place where we will find hope, resiliency, courage, strength. The freedom, Father, to to be able to confess our sins to one another. That we might seek help and encouragement and exhortment from another brother or sister in Christ. That they might come alongside us in a real way. Not in some superficial way. Father, help us. We are so distracted. We have so many things that we allow to rise to the level of most important in our lives. And most of them really serve us no great purpose. But Father, help us to see, being focused and centered on the cross, oh, that is our purpose. And when we are then, we will find joy, hope, confidence, assurance. Only then will we find what we need to to live before you and live among your people and with them in an understanding way, a forgiving way, a loving way. Father, help us. This is your church. We are your people. Father, for your sake and your glory, do your work to us and do it through us. We pray all these things in the name of our great Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who willingly came to this earth to sacrifice himself on our behalf for our sins. Amen.